1 Peter chapter 1. John uh, read verses 3 through 9. We have uh, spent a couple of weeks in the past. Uh, the past few weeks we've had some special services. But in the past we had spent a few weeks already kind of getting an introduction uh, to the book of 1 Peter. Uh, this morning what I'd like to do is to spend a few minutes, just a few minutes, I'd like to spend a few minutes uh, placing it in your Bible. What I mean by that is, if you opened your Bible to 1 Peter, and most of you just did, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like, right? So you see, you have a whole bunch of pages on this side, just a couple pages on this side, uh, which means we're somewhere near the end of our Bible. But what I want you to understand is that where you are in your Bible matters. When you open your Bible, where you open your Bible matters to you in that it helps you to understand what it is that God is going to be showing you uh, in that portion of Scripture. When I was, uh, before I was saved, before I was saved, um, I had no idea what was in the Bible, as would be true probably of most Americans. If you went and asked most Americans um, how many books there are in the Bible or name five books in the Bible, maybe five books, maybe could, people could do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just pick something out of the air and get it right, you know. Uh, but I had very little understanding of the, of the Bible, very little understanding of the Word of God. The person that pointed me to Christ, um, when I went to talk to him about my need, uh, he told me that, my, that God would meet me in the Word of God, uh, that he would meet me in the Bible. If I just open it and humbly ask him, he would show me the truth. And so I said, uh, well, where, where would I open my Bible to meet with God? And his answer was, well, wherever he tells you to. And I know it sounds, it does sound very funny. Um, it sounded very funny to me when he said it. I, well, my answer to him was, well, let's just pretend God doesn't talk to me like he talks to you. Because apparently he tells you things he doesn't tell me because I have no idea what book of the Bible I should open to. And, and honestly, he didn't want to tell me. I, I, I kept pressing him, you know, I need somewhere to start, you know what I mean? And he said, well, um, wherever, wherever you open it, I guess. And I said, you've got to be able to do better than that. And he said, John, open to the Gospel of John. If you want to start somewhere, open to the Gospel of John. He said, but this is the critical part. Be humble when you ask God to show you the truth. Because if you will not humble yourself, he won't be able to show you the truth. And I skipped that part, by the way, and God didn't show me the truth. And it was really interesting. I, I'm not going to go into a great deal of detail about this, but uh, it really broke my heart. I really, I was only 22 years old, but I had, I got to be honest with you, I had already come to the, to the significant conclusion that the way we were living our life on this earth, and I had a very good life, by the way, the way we were living our life on this earth was vain, was very um, empty, that you could only pursue so much, and it seemed to be no matter what you had, it, there just wasn't enough, quote-unquote, pleasure or joy or happiness in these things. And again, this is not coming from someone who was down and out. I, I really, my testimony is I was somebody who was up and out. I had everything that you could want. My life was very, very full. I had a lot of wonderful things. I had pretty much anything that you could want, I had. And, and I, again, I was only 22, and I was just completely, completely uh, aware at just how plastic the world is, just how phony smiley the news media is, the, 
the, the movies that you go and see, you know, they're, 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 they're great for the two hours that they're watching them, and then when they're over, they're over, and there's really not much to it. There's, there was so little depth, I thought, to the world that we live in. I was earning an engineering degree at the time, and I just realized, surely, surely there's more meaning than this. Now, I, I'm not, I didn't want to give you my testimony this morning, but I wanted you to understand this. When I started studying my Bible, I started in John. If you, you, know, if you take your Bible and you know, flip back a few pages, then you can find yourself in John. And it's about that far, right? It's that far earlier. So if you go back to John, then you'd say, okay, so now I'm in John, but still, where am I, right? So this is John. That, you know, I can show you where it is as far as pages. This is John, but where am I? If you say, well, you know, I like to get up in the morning and I like to read the Psalms. Well, if you pinch basically half your Bible, if you open to the book of Psalms, you'll be somewhere in the middle typically, depending upon how many maps and helps you have in the back of your book. So you pinch there and you say, okay, well, now I'm in Psalms, so I'm kind of in the middle. But where am I? Where am I in my Bible? Now, quite honestly, most Christians don't think it even matters. Um, most churches, when the preacher is preaching, he simply needs a couple of verses so he can say what he wants to say anyway. So it doesn't really matter. We just pick a couple of verses and then we say a bunch of things that we want to say. But that's not what the Word of God is for. Not at all. But listen, listen. The Word of God is from God to us. It's from, listen, let me say, it's really important. The Word of God is from God to you. If nobody else wants it, it's to you. It is, it, there are lots of things that God could have said. There are lots of things that God could have written down. And this is what he gave us. And so this is really important. Everything you will ever need to know about everything you will ever need to know about is in this book. This is not the, the best efforts of a group of men. This is the word of God. God is the one that gave it. God is the one that has kept it. God is the one that has seen to its translation into the English language and many other languages. And so I can stand before you today confidently. I can say this confidently. This is the word of God. It has no errors in it at all. And you can completely trust him, just him. I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm not asking you to trust Baptists. I'm just telling you, you can trust God at his word and you need to. That's what I'm saying. So now let's, if you didn't flip with me, you're still there. Back to 1 Peter. So what I'd like to do is take just a couple of minutes. I was talking to uh, uh, Brother John James uh, this morning about this. I was asking him, I said, do you remember when you first came and you were introduced to the fact that the Bible has an overall message to it and that it's very logically laid out? And he said, I do remember. I said, do you remember how important that was to you at that point? And this was his wording. It changed everything. It changed everything when I understood that when I opened my Bible, where I opened my Bible mattered. There's really one overall message in the Word of God, but it is given progressively and logically. What I mean by that is this. The Bible is really about the Lord Jesus Christ. From cover to cover, the Lord Jesus Christ is promised, and he is promised to be the one that will fulfill everything that needs to be done. All of the personal promises of God are fulfilled perfectly by our Lord Jesus Christ, all of them. Everything in our Old Testament is a picture of Christ or a prophecy that Christ is going to come. When you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you're actually seeing is the fulfilling of all of the promises that are pictured in the Old Testament actually being accomplished. When our Lord Jesus Christ says on the cross, it is finished, he means it. Everything that is necessary for your salvation, everything that needs to be done has been done already by our Lord Jesus 
Christ. All we have to do is believe him at his word. When you, now, we're going to talk a little bit about this. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit um, because I want to be able to show it in its context. I want to start with 1 Peter. Now, I'm going to move over here, and you see uh, James already put the, uh, the keynote up. So this is a little bit of a different. Uh, John did something like this in Sunday school this morning. But in Sunday school, it makes more sense to do what, what, what I'm doing right now. John did this kind of as a wrapping up of the book of Daniel. He went through the book of Daniel, uh, all 12 chapters, and just did a brief brief overview. What I'm going to do this morning is take a couple of minutes to take the book of Peter, right? The book of Peter, understanding how it fits in our Bible through simple diagrams. In other words, what I would like for you to understand is how your Bible is put together. And I believe that this is really important to all of us. Now there's so much more, and again, I'm only going to, I'm going to take a half an hour. It's quarter of, it's quarter of 12 right now. By quarter after 12, Lord willing, I'll be done showing you what I'm going to show you this morning. And I believe if you take notes, I believe it'll be very helpful to you. If you want the rest of this, there's a, a study that we do called One Book, One Focus, where we go through all of this. It takes, it takes days to go through all of this. And all that does is just give you an introduction to all 66 books, where they are in your Bible, why they are where they are in your Bible. And here's the critical truth, how they interact with each other. Because what we're going to see to begin with is that the book of 1 Peter is the third book in its own section. So it's not the first book. The first book is the book of Hebrews, which we studied two books ago. Then we studied the book of uh, James, which is the book that comes after Hebrews before 1 Peter. We'll talk a little bit about that. But what I want to do to begin with, let me just change the slide. So see this right here? Everybody see that? Can you recognize what that is? What is that? Book? Does it look like a book? To anybody? I hope it does. It's supposed to. It is a book, actually, right? See, that's a book, okay? That's the spine of a book, right? You got these, any of you, any of you guys have these on your shelves at home? Anybody read? Okay? On your shelf at home, you got some of these, right? This is a cloth bound or hardback book, right? And you see what it says? This is the book of 1 Peter. That's what that is. Get used to that representation right there. It's pretty important today, okay? We're going to see a whole bunch of other books like that, but I just wanted to be able to make sure you understood that that's not a stick or anything like that. That's the book of 1 Peter. So the central message, the central message to the book of 1 Peter is right there. The promise of rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. In other words, when you open your Bible to 1 Peter, what God wants you to see is that he promises to give you a life of rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. By the way, you can find this in verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. I need to bring my water over here. Chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to have to move it close. I, I talked about actually having a little table built over here. We'll see how this works. Chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to set it right there. I hear everybody saying that's a really bad idea. That is a really bad idea. We're not going to do that. <laughs> Sam's going to build me a little table that goes on the end of this thing over here. Okay, and so let's just look. Let's look at uh, uh, verse 8. Now, what I'm going to do here, I'm going to go ahead and rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We had five looks already at 1 Peter, and I'm going to just show you quickly the five things that we've looked at. But you see in verse 8, it says this, Whom having not seen, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ in the verse, verse before that, Whom having not seen ye love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now the significant thing about this verse is this verse is the theme of this book, but the context where this shows up in this book is really important, and we'll talk about that as we go through. If you go back to verse 3, 
We looked at the blessed beginnings. Chapter 1, verse 3, if you go to the beginning, it says, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what happens is this. Listen, this is so important. I don't have time to preach this. I just don't. I really would love to go back and preach all of these five things again, but if I do that, we'll, we'll, get, no, we'll get nowhere this morning. But, I, but you should go back. They're all, you can find these online. You should go listen to this. These blessed beginnings... If you're a new creature, it matters to you that it's according to the abundant mercy of God that you're saved. Do you hear me? Listen, it is not by your works that you're saved. It is according to the abundant mercy of God. God's abundant mercy loved us so much that when we were yet sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ himself came to earth and died for us. God the Son came to earth and died for us. That's what God wants you to know. It is according to His abundant mercy. You weren't trying to find this. I wasn't trying to find this. The day that I talked to Bob, Bob's that guy that told me to just open my Bible wherever and start reading. The day I talked to Bob, God had been pursuing me for a long time. I just had no idea it was God. In my mind, it was my conscience or my own misery, or, the, or just the emptiness of this world that was pushing me to this way. But that's not what was going on. It was the abundant mercy of God chasing me down in my loud arrogance, living my own selfish life, doing what I wanted to do, and living with the emptiness that I was producing in my life and blaming everybody else for it, and yet God was chasing me down during that whole time. By His abundant mercy... And this is what it says at the beginning of this. Again, in the context of this book, where God wants us to have this joy unspeakable and full of glory, it begins with this blessed truth. And then in verse 5, we see this, kept by the power of God, right? It says, who, speaking of us, who are kept by the power of God. So you, listen, listen, you didn't start this, and you're not going to finish this. If If you are the author of your own salvation, then you have no real salvation, And if God is the author of your salvation, then praise God, it's up to him to get it done. And I'm not being irreverent when I say that. If he is the author of your salvation, then he will be the finisher of your salvation. Because he which hath begun a good work shall perform it. He is capable of doing this. And we, we who are new creatures, we who are the strangers scattered throughout the world, we are kept by the power of God. It's going to be one o'clock before we're done. I'm just wanting you to know. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> and in verse 6 it says, ye greatly rejoice. I want to talk about, I'm going to keep coming back to this word. We're going to be in this book for a little while. So this word right here, rejoice. Do you know what it means? Literally. You know what a transliteration of this word would be? This is what it would be. To jump for joy. To gush forth. This is not translated that way in the Baptist church. Amen. This is, how, this is what rejoicing looks like in the Baptist church. To sit quietly with your arms folded in front of you. To barely smile from time to time. Amen? That's about as much rejoicing as the average Baptist is capable of. Now, I'm not a very good Baptist. Some people call me Bapticostal. I really do rejoice in my salvation. I find, listen, you come to my office, sometimes you might see me running around a little bit in my own office. I thank God 
for the fullness of the salvation that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not just glad to have been forgiven of my sins. I am glad for the change that God has made in my life. My family is glad for the change that God has made in my life. And my family is glad that he's continuing to make the changes in my life that he wants to make in our life. This is the goodness and power of God. God is keeping us. Therefore, ye, we, together, greatly rejoice, even... In a season of heaviness. That's what it says in verse 6. Read it with me. That's what it says in verse 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now. And boy, you need to under, There's two phrases here. One, for a season. And second, if need be. You need to wrap your arms around these people. For a season. Whatever difficulty you're going through is for a season. Now, we understand seasons, right? You understand season? In, in here in Hampton Roads, we have two seasons, Right? We have the sideways, windy rain of winter and the 700 degrees of summer. Those are the two seasons. We have the short break in between, this accidental break almost in between those two seasons. Where I grew up in New England, in Vermont, we actually have four seasons. You have uh, winter, summer, fall, and spring. And you do not mistake those because they're very obvious when you're in them. Uh, summer's like a whole week and a half long up there in Vermont. Okay, amen? <clears throat> so, so, so we go through these seasons of heaviness, but notice how it's worded. Wherein ye re you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be. Boy, this is important. Whatever, listen, if this is in your life, whatever this is, then it needs to be in your life. Do you know how I know that? Because God is good. That's how I know that. God has no interest in any trial or difficulty being in your life one day longer than is necessary for him to show you what, you want to see, what he wants you to see. Here's our problem. We want everything to just be fun, if you understand what I'm saying. We want everything to be as we want to be. We do not want to grow in grace. We do not want to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're glad to be saved, and that's good enough for us, and we want to have a pleasant, easygoing life from here to there. But if he wanted that, he could have just saved us and taken us immediately home. And I'd have been fine with that, by the way. If I had got saved and hit by a bus the same day, that would have been fine. But we're here for a reason. So what is the reason that we're here? And this is why. So that others might see how good our God is. And not, let me ask you this question. Do you rejoice? Do people see in the seasons of heaviness, the season of difficulty that needs to be in your life? What do they see in your life during that time? Honestly, be honest with yourself. What do they see when you're going through a difficulty? What do they see? And you want to know what they see in most, in most even born-again Christians, most of the time are just fussy, whiny eight-year-olds. And this is not what God wants. And it's a shame. It truly is a shame. One, it causes you, it has to be because you don't understand how much he loves you. You can't understand how much God loves you and be whining at the same time. It's just not possible. You know, how many of you have had this experience with your own children? You're, you're doing something in their life that's very important, and they don't like it, and therefore they, well, I don't know what the word would be. Well, whine is the word, I guess, right? They, you know, they, they complain about it. And you say, listen, I'm not doing this because it's fun for me. Again, I don't want to go. I guess I will. Um, you know, my son, Andrew, uh, my son Andrew got more discipline in his life than all of our other children. I, I'm not sure if he earned it or not. He just couldn't obey. He just, I mean, he wasn't really a malicious child. He just was a I want to do what I want to do kind of a child. And I remember one time we were in the room and I said, Andrew, I so much don't want to discipline you. And his response was, well, I don't want you to. So if you won't tell anybody, I won't tell anybody. <laughs> and it is funny. 
but I really didn't want to, and he really didn't want me to. But I really needed him to learn that there's something, there's something for your life better than the selfishness that you're living your life in right now. Do you understand? And God wants us to understand, I have such a great, great love for you. I don't want this to be the rest of your life. So the heaviness that we have, the difficulty that we're going through, one, it's for a season, and two, it needs to be there. But again, God's desire is that we would rejoice. And that literally means to gush forth, to jump up and down for joy. That's what God wants to do. That's number four. We have lots of slides. Um, number five, and this is the last one that we're going to look at before we put its place, receiving the end of your faith. So I just want you to see this. Right? Rejoicing, the central message is rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. It starts with the blessed beginnings of the uh, abundant mercy of God. And then we're kept by the power of God. And now we rejoice greatly, even though we have this difficulty in our life that is necessary from time to time. And then it says in verse 9, so we're only in verse 9 of this book, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So the God who keeps us is going through all of these things with us. And his whole point is, I'm going to come and get you and take you to be with me and your souls. Not just your lives, your very souls will be saved. Amen? That's wonderful. So now, let's look at the book where it belongs. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn the book sideways. You guys recognize that, right? And then I, what I did is I just took that central message. Everybody see that? It looks like a real book, right? Isn't that wonderful? Awesome, isn't it? Thank you, Alicia. I appreciate that. So what you have right here is uh, the, the book of 1 Peter with the central message written here on the spine. You got that? You can, you can buy these in the office on your way out. I'm just kidding. You can't really buy these in the office on the way out. Okay, but remember, this is not the first book in this section of your Bible. The first book in this, in this section of your Bible is the book of Hebrews, right? So the book of Hebrews and the promise of our great high priest mediating a whole new life. And this is important. Listen, listen. If you don't have Christ, if you don't have Christ as your Savior, you cannot rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Until you have the great high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is one, interceding for you in front of God the Father all the time, and two, coming out from God the Father and pouring out a whole new quality of life into your life through the Holy Spirit that lives within you. That's what's happening. And listen, that's a long book and there's a lot in it, but you need to go back and read it and study it and say, this is what I need. I need this high priest. See, the point that's being made in the book of Hebrews is this. The, the Hebrews lived for thousands of years with the pictures of all this. They had a real priesthood and they had real offerings, but none of that took away sin. All of that was a picture that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to come. One, he was going to be the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's number one. Two, he was going to be the priest that was able to offer that sacrifice. So our Lord Jesus is both the offering and the priest who can make that offering. And praise God for that. Listen, there's only one person, there's only one being in the entire universe that can touch you and God the Father at the same time. And it's the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus can touch you and God the Father at the same time. He can bridge the gap between his burning holiness and your unholiness. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and not only can he, he wants to. He ever liveth to make intercession for you. It is his blood that gives you a righteous standing, right? It says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You say, but I had a bad day. The blood didn't have a bad day. 
Jesus didn't have a bad day. Now, let me say this. You say, well, I had a good day, so now I can go because I had a good day. No, you can't. You can only go today the same way you went yesterday, and that's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always, always, always. So that's this book right here. That's what we learn in this book. The book that comes after that is James. The book of James, remember, this is, I'm going to give this to you. The promise of our great high priest mediating a whole new life. The book of James builds on that and gives us the promise of living a whole new life in our everyday life. It's one thing to be a new creature. It's another thing to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's another thing to have the fullness that God wants us to have every day of our lives. Now, here's the wonderful truth about this right here. These books are proving whether you actually have the real thing or not. Do you really have real salvation? We're going to see that in a minute when we look at their place in the Bible. Now, after that, we don't have time to go through these. After that, there are these five other books. So there are eight books. You see that? Eight books right there. And if you put them all together, you end up with a subsection of the epistles. You end up with what's called the general epistles. So these eight books make up the general epistles. Would you like to see how that fits into your Bible? I hope so. So here we have the general epistles. And the general epistles have their own central message to them. And that's the reality of the promises exposed. Do you have the, the promises that are from God? If you do, when God exposes these things in your life, it will prove that you do. If you don't, if you don't. Now again, let me just say this. Two years ago, three years ago, three years ago I think now, three years ago, my son Andrew was sitting in our dining room. This is the same one, by the way, that the, story, the other story. He makes such great um, object lessons in sermons, amen? He's going to have an earned doctorate in a little while, and he's still going to be the subject of object lessons in sermons, okay? <clears throat> he was sit- three years ago, he was sitting at the table in our kitchen. I want to say honestly, for the first time ever, I believe this is the first time I ever saw my son Andrew sitting in the kitchen with his Bible open, sitting in the dining room, excuse me, with his Bible open. He was sitting there, that we had the tent meeting. We were in the third week of a two-week tent meeting, and Andrew was sitting at the table reading his Bible, and he asked this question. He was reading 1 John, which, by the way, if you look back, was one of the books in this section of our Bible. And this is what he said. He said, what was the book of 1 John given to us for? And I said, Andrew, you already know the answer to that question. I said, the, book, the, the 1 John was given that we might know that we're saved. And he asked this question, well, what if you're reading it and you don't know that you're saved? And I said, then maybe you're not saved. And he got saved a couple days later. Now, the reason that I bring this up is because that's the whole point of these books. This is the reality. Do you really have a biblical salvation? Do you know how many people, listen, do you know how many people are in church today who don't have a biblical salvation? who are not really new creatures. The Holy Ghost does not live within them. They are not sealed by the Holy Spirit. They are not in the Lamb's book of life. They are not born again. But God wants you to be born again. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto two things. One is repentance, and the other is to the knowledge of the truth. He says both of those. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance and to the knowledge of the truth. But how do you know this? These books, these general epistles, find, prove to us whether or not we have the reality of the promises in our life through the exposure in this book. But again, this is not the first book in the section of your Bible called the epistles. First, there's the church epistles. There are eight of these, right? We just saw there are eight of these. There are nine of these. There are nine church epistles. They start with the book of Romans, right? Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. These nine, and there's, there's, there's three more after that, come right here, right? Right here. 
And this is the message of the promises explained. When you got, how, many, how many of you remember when you were saved? Remember, how many of you remember when you were saved? Raise your hand if you remember when you were saved. How many of you would say that you knew very, very little about anything having to do with the gospel when you were saved? Raise your hand again. Right? I knew almost nothing when I got saved. Almost nothing at all. I knew this. I was a sinner, that I was, in ju- that I was under the judgment of God, that God loved me and didn't want me to stay under that judgment, and that Christ had died for me. That's what I knew. And, and by the way, and I received the Lord Jesus Christ. My soul was saved. My life was changed. I knew that I had peace with God. It was wonderful, but I still didn't understand very much. That's at the end of the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we have the proclamation of the redemption that's given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But in the book of Romans, the very first book begins telling us about the message of the promises of God being explained to us so you could know what it means to be a new creature. I don't have time to continue to go into that. The pastoral epistles, there's only four of them. They come after that. So you have the church epistles, nine. The pastoral epistles, four. This deals with the messengers. So you have the message of the promises explained, the messengers of the promises uh, expressed, and the reality of the promises exposed. That's these three sections or subsections of your, of your New Testament. And if you put them all together you end up with the epistles. And you see right here, there are 21 books in the epistles. But how do the epistles fit into your Bible? So let's just slide that over and put some other sections. Now we're just going to look at the four major sections of your New Testament. The four major sections of your New Testament are the Gospels. There are four books, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The second section is a single book. It's the book of Acts. Then you have the 21 epistles. And then you have the book of Revelation, which is its own book also. So these two sections are one single book, Acts and Revelation. Uh, This book right here is the last book of your Bible. So if you take all four of these sections, that gives you the 27 books that you have in your New Testament. And we already saw where the epistles fit in, right? So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn these all sideways because it's easier for you to read the spine when I do it that way. Can you read that? Can most of you read that? Yes? No? Raise your hand if you can't read that right there. Okay, go see a doctor. All right, we have one person that, 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 can't, that can't see that. Okay, all right, the, detail, the detailed explanation of God's fulfilled promises. The detailed explanation of God's fulfilled promises, right? We saw how he focuses the message, messengers, and reality. But the overall section, the way it's defined is the detailed explanation of God's fulfilled promises. They've already been fulfilled. Amen? Everything that needs to be done has already been done. We're just learning about it in that section. But the first section is the Gospels. When you get into your New Testament, the first thing that happens is this. The fulfilling of God's promises through the coming of the Christ. Remember, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ is the entire promise of the Old Testament, right? When Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, she says this. When Messiah comes, he'll tell us everything. And Jesus says to that woman, I am him. I that speak unto thee am he, is what he says. I am the I am. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the anointed one. And I have come to what? Fulfill all the promises that God has ever given. That's a tremendous truth. And so in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the promises of God fulfilled through the coming of the Christ. Now what happens in the book of Acts? What happens in the book of Acts is this. The fulfilling of God's promises through the coming of the Comforter. The Comforter is what Jesus makes reference to when he talks about sending who? Who is it? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, right? Listen, listen. The Holy Ghost changes everything. Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost changes everything. 
Here's the problem. Here's the problem in America. We have, we, have a, we have a completely misunderstood reality of these two people right here. The Christ and the Comforter. The Catholic Church, and, I'm not gonna, and I don't say this to be unkind, but the Catholic Church has put Mary on level with the Christ. But Mary's not on level with the Christ. Mary's just a woman. She's a wonderful woman. Don't get me wrong. She's a blessed woman. She said, yes, God said, I'm going to basically give you a baby. Everybody's going to think you have an illegitimate child all the rest of your life. Are you willing for me to do that to you? And she said, yes, sir. Yes, Lord, I am. You do to me whatever is good. And he does. And, and then she delivers her own Savior. Praise God. Okay. So the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. But listen, it's not just the Christ that we've been robbed of. We've been robbed of the Comforter. Because the charismatic movement has turned the comforter, the Holy Spirit of God living within us, to a bunch of gibberish, rolling around on the floor and foaming at the mouth. And I'm not being mean when I say that. That is completely unreasonable. That is not what the Holy Spirit looks like. You want to see what, the, what God the Holy Spirit looks like in your life? Go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and you see the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance, the, and, there, and there are more. This is what it looks like. When someone's full of the Spirit of God, they are a loving, joyful, humble, holy person. How many people do you know like that? Are you one of them? This is, listen, God fulfills his promises by sending the Christ. When you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Christ sends who? The Comforter. To live within us. It's what happens in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, what happened on the day of Pentecost was this. The promises. That, you go back and look at it. Peter's going to say this is the fulfilling of the promise found in the Old Testament that God would give us a whole new heart. Where does the whole new heart come from within you? The Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? When you were made a new creature, you were made a new creature because you were born of God. And if you don't believe me, go to John chapter 1, verse 12. When you were born of God, the Holy Ghost came to live within you and he changed everything. You just didn't understand it, right? Now listen, if you don't, if you, I get excited. This promise is explained in Romans, the very first epistle. The very first epistle deals with the Christ. The need for the Christ, right? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody's in the same trouble. Every, there, there, there is no difference. Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. Everybody's in the same trouble because of what? Sin. And Jesus Christ came to save us from our sin. And then this. Romans chapter 7 says this. Once I was saved, I felt differently. And I wanted to live differently. But how to do the things that I knew I should do now, I didn't find the power to be able to do that within me. You want to know why? Because it's not in your flesh to be able to do that. But it is within you now by the coming of the comforter. And again, go read Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8, and what you'll find is this. We're not meant to walk after the flesh anymore. We're meant to walk after the Spirit. And this is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came and lived within us to give us the power to live that life that our great high priest is going to pour out into our life, which is in this book later on in the epistles. Then the last section, and we're, and we're almost done, the last section is the consummation of God's promises. In the book of Revelation, what, now by the way, when you get to the book of Revelation, please hear me, focus, it's called the Revelation, go look at it, it's the very beginning of it, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the bowls. It's not the revelation of the angels. It's not the revelation of the vials. It's not the revelation of the thunderstorms. It's not. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when you read Revelation, 
Focus on Christ and you'll understand everything just fine. The one who died for us, the one who has the nail piercing in his hands is the one who's going to open the seals and bring this all to an end. Amen? He is going to be the one that's going to come and receive us all. He's going to be the one that's going to judge the earth righteously. Now, by the way, he has no desire to judge anybody. He wants everybody to receive him as Savior so they don't have to meet him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, so we take all those books and we put them together. Anybody want to happen if you, take, if you take the Gospels and the book of Acts and the epistles and Revelation and put them all together, it forms something. What is it called? Yeah, that's really good. You guys are really, what a sharp group you guys are. The New Testament, right? So, so if you take these all and you put them together, you have the New Testament. So now what I'm going to do, everybody see we just moved it over, made it a little smaller. I needed the room, okay? So what we have here is the New Testament. Does the New Testament, so we took those sections, each section has its own specific purpose. Does the New Testament have a purpose all by itself? And the answer is yes. And it can be explained this way. The overall message of the New Testament is this. The promises of God fulfilled in Jesus the Christ and revealed in the church. That in, you see it's bold and underlined. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. The promises of God fulfilled in Jesus the Christ and revealed in the church. When you open your Bible to the New Testament, this is what it's going to be about. When you open to the different sections, it's going to be about what those sections are about. When you open to the different books, it's going to be about the central message of that book. Do you understand? But you know this when you open your Bible. When I open into the New Testament, this is what God wants me to see. When I open into the um, Old Testament, well, we can do that because it's right here. Look, it magically appears. The Old Testament, and here's the central message of the Old Testament. The promises of God in Christ given to Israel and revealed through Israel. Now, what's the difference between these two statements other than Israel? Let's look at those differences because they actually matter. <clears throat> what we have is this. The promises of God, they're in Christ still in the Old Testament. They're given to Israel, but notice this. The promises of God in the New Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They're promised in Christ in the Old Testament. They're fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. They're revealed through Israel, but they're revealed in the church, and they should be. Now listen, listen, hear me. I, I have to say this. I feel sorry for the world today because for the most part, the church isn't revealing the glory of God like she should. The indiv individual churches, Tidewater Baptist Church, when people visit here, what they should see is that fullness of the Spirit in our lives. They should see love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance, right? Yes? No? You should be, listen, listen, hear me. Yes? Yes? Individually, you should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Of course you can. Unless you quench Him, right? Unless you quench Him or unless you grieve Him, He wants to fill you. So all we have to do is say, Lord, humble yourself and walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Say, Lord, make me the person that you'd have me to be. So here's what happens. And honestly, it's very, very simple. So Kenny's walking in the Spirit, and I'm walking in the Spirit. Will there be any disagreement with Kenny and I if Kenny's walking in the Spirit and I'm walking in the Spirit? And the answer is there won't be. There can't be. Because he'll have the same Lord Jesus living within him that I have living within me. And, and God gets along quite well with himself. Do you understand? So here's the problem. Only by... Pride cometh contention. So when people don't get along, it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault that the church doesn't behave herself like she should. It's our fault. 
because he wants to give us the fullness of this. This is the whole point. The promises of God have been fulfilled in Jesus, who is the Christ, and they are meant to be revealed in the church. He says so. He wants to be able to point to this church, Tidewater Baptist Church, and every other real Bible-believing church in America, and be able to say to angels and principality in heavenly places, look what I've done. Look what I did there. Look at them. And what they'll say is, they have nothing in common. They have different educations. They have different backgrounds. They have different everything. They have different favorite sports teams. And yet, look at them love one another. Look at them care for one another. Look at them not only love each other, look at them love the world that doesn't even like them. Look at them be kind to the people who say mean things about them. That's amazing, and it is amazing, and it is amazing, and it is possible through the Holy Spirit that lives within each one of us. It is possible, and we're seeing it, yes? I mean, many of us can testify to the change in our own lives because of the Spirit of God being within us and causing us to be able to literally rejoice in difficulty when all we ever did before was whine and complain during difficulty. Now, if you take these things to... Oh, wait, one more thing. So here's the Old Testament, right? The promises of God in Christ. The New Testament, the promise of God fulfilled in Christ. I need, to, need you to see this. Somebody read that. Read it out loud. Right? Not Israel. When you read your Old Testament, don't get focused on Israel. Israel is just the framework. The picture, the focus is Christ himself. When you read your Old Testament, the focus is Christ, not Israel. When you read your New Testament, somebody read that one. It's not the church. It's Christ. Do you understand? Don't get focused on the wrong thing. Now look. Well, let's go back to what it says, because I think I gave myself one slide where I took that away. The promises of God in Christ are revealed through Israel, but they're the promises of God in Christ that are revealed through Israel, right? And they're revealed in the church, praise God, but it's all about Christ. Everything is about our Lord Jesus Christ. If it was about the church, man, we'd be being big. Honestly, think about, think about who the pastor and the deacons of this church are. If it was about the power and wisdom of the church, wouldn't we be in tragic trouble? Yes? Do you know a church where that wouldn't be true? And the answer is no. But because it isn't about the church, it's about Christ himself. Now each one of us can trust him personally to change our lives. Amen? Now if you put that all together, and you guys are ready for me to, if you put that all together, what do you get? You get a Bible, right? And the Bible itself has a central message, and it is the central message of the Bible are the personal promises of God perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So no matter where you open your Bible, the personal promises of God perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to move this up to the top. So One, so some of you that couldn't see it can see it. And two, because what I'm going to do, I'm just going to end by doing this. We're going to go from where we are now to 1 Peter, right? We're just going to go down. We're going to start at the top and work our way through. So we're going to start here with the personal promise. I opened my Bible and I know it's about... Now I've opened my Bible to 1 Peter, right? Just open your Bible back to 1 Peter. Everybody open your Bible to 1 Peter. You open your Bible to 1 Peter. What do you know that you're going to find when you get into 1 Peter? This is the first thing you know. I'm going to find the personal promises of God perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ in 1 Peter. That's the first thing you know. What's the next thing that I know? Well, because it's in my New Testament, I know that I'm going to find the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus the Christ and revealed in the church. So that's going to have something to do with the church, not with Israel, but with the church. It's going to have something to do with the promises already being fulfilled, and it's going to have to do something with me being a part of a church someplace. And then through the epistles, I know that God is going to be explaining to me 
these promises. There's going to be an explanation of the promises of God in my life. Again, I've been saved. I just need to understand it. I need to be able to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's going to happen in 1 Peter. And then because we're in the general epistles, God's going to be exposing whether I have the reality of those promises or not. So do you see this? Simple, isn't it? This, this, this tells us this, tells us this, tells us this, and this leads us to the actual book itself. And when you get into 1 Peter, we're looking at rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. But this is the fine focus, if you understand what I'm saying, of the book. This is the back out a little bit. We know it's about this. Back out a little bit more. We know it's also about this. Back out even more. Knock that down. We know it's also about this. But it's in our Bible, so we know that it's about this. So this helps you. Now, you, and you might ask this question. Can we do this for every book? And the answer is yes, we can. And we should be able to. We should be able to open our Bible anywhere and know what it is that God is putting before us. Now again, what I want you to notice is this. All of these things are in our Lord Jesus Christ. All of them are fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ perfectly. And they are personal promises. Personal promises from God directly to you. It doesn't matter if nobody else in the room receives them, you can so now as we continue the study, and we're done for today, but as we continue our study next week, when we go back into 1 Peter, you'll know the placement of 1 Peter in your Bible, and you should be hungry to say, well, I'd like to know the placement of each one of my books in the Bible, and God would have you to know these things. Father, thank you for giving us these couple of minutes together this morning. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for how it has helped me so much, so much, so much through all of my life to be able to not just understand 1 Peter some, but to understand that, that it matters to me that Hebrews and James come before 1 Peter and what it is that you're showing me in these sections of my Bible. Father, thank you for giving us this time together this morning. I ask you, Lord, as we would uh, walk down now, as we would uh, go down the hallway and go and uh, have this time of food together, that you would bless us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. 